1: How's it going and welcome to episode 74 of on the wire proud member of the picture list podcast network Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the wire pod. of course if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews please take a second to let us know what you think I am Adam howe you can follow me on the Twitter at 80 grade that's all spelled out I am once again joined by my co-host Kevin Hasting who should be followed on the Twitter at Hasting Kevin and Kevin I you mentioned this right before we started recording, and I've got to bring it up because I am i don't want to have to bring it up ever again. You're about to do a fantasy football draft. Is that the right word? Is Am I using that word correctly? Is that what we're talking yeah. about?
2: Don't tell Nick. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I have one fantasy football league that I've stuck in over the years. It's guys I was in the Navy with. So we... Like to get together. I'm not making the trip this season due to the recent move, but about half of the league is in Las Vegas, and we'll all Zoom together and do our draft. That's how we keep in touch with each other. Not a huge fantasy football guy, but yeah, it'll be fun later today.
1: Yeah, the home league is always the exception to the rule, if you will, especially if you're not doing the high stakes leagues or what have you on a regular basis. So I don't blame you. That's fine. I think my home league has disbanded because I have not heard from the commissioner in like (laughs) over a year. So we'll see if, if he puts something together right away. But we're going to stick up with baseball. That's what we do. We still got a couple weeks left of Fab to agonize over each Sunday. And so with rosters expanding coming up, they don't expand as much as they once did, but they do expand a couple of players. we get some new players that are going to coming into the mix. So it's my pleasure to introduce our very special guests to help break those options down with us this week. And a lot of these guys that are going to come up are going to be prospects, so there's not many better minds to talk with than our guest, Chris Welsh. Chris, of course, can be found across a bevy of podcasts across the In This League podcast network, most notably for our context, the In This League Fantasy Baseball podcast and with friend of the show, Scott Bogman, and his solo pod dedicated to all things prospects, Prospect One, as well as the Fantasy Pros leading off show. You can get to know the Welsh by joining the ITL Army, In This inthisleague.com. Link to all his work we in the show description. So check those out as well for direct access. Chris, thanks for joining us, man. Um, you know, especially this late in the season, I know you and Bogman do plenty of other stuff at ITL, including football. As you're ramping up the as the season's coming up, so taking the time out to consistently talk about baseball on a regular basis is always greatly appreciated. Thanks for coming on, man. And uh, how are you doing, Adam? Kevin, thank you so much for having me on a lot of podcasts, <laughs> a lot of podcasts you just <laughs> talked about, a lot of
3: baseball there's some football, a whole lot of stuff. Thank you for the nice plug. I'm glad to talk about all the things. And you always remind me, it's so funny. I've done a few shows over the last couple of weeks where right when I do them, I haven't posted my last prospect one. And I'm like, I got to get that show out. But that's <laughs> when I think that people would really enjoy just giving a plug to that for whatever reason. Now I had Frank Stample from CBS on talking about, I created a prospect One p top 200 prospects. It was a draft four different four different leagues with industry people and all this. And I think it's just a really helpful tool. That's kind of what Bogman and I are all about to list. You guys, I think, are the entirety is innovative in kind of the space of fantasy and especially fantasy baseball. Bogman and I, we're not the big smart guys. So we're always looking to try to create fun, other different avenues and ways to look at fantasy. And we talk a lot about fantasy in a lot of spaces. So it is not hard to find us.
1: But I am very glad to be uh, chatting about all this stuff with you guys today. You guys, we talked about this with Scott when he was on the show, but you guys have been doing this for so long in in so many d- varieties of ways. Yeah. That, have you hit episode 5000 yet? It seems like you guys are close oh, to episode 5000. It <laughs>
3: feels like it's close. It does. We're like five or 600 into baseball, which seems weird. Four or 500 into football. I'm. I think I'm close to. I think I just hit like 300 in Prospect One. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this since 2014. I've probably done 3,000, 4,000. Even not even joking aside, podcasts uh, across the board. We used to do a basketball podcast, and we're, and now we do a Twitch show. By the way, Bog and I do a live mm-hmm. Twitch show Monday through Thursday. So the one thing we don't do is hold ourselves back a little bit. You would think that might be good to have a little (laughs) bit of a mystery where it's like, hey, you don't hear. You literally can find any given day we're doing something, which, you know, there's good and there's bad, but it's good to do podcasts with literally anybody but
1: Bogman. So we get different takes. That's probably the best take right there. Do podcasts with everybody except the guy you do podcasts with every single day. Yeah, it's Um, a different
3: take. I get a different perspective when I get to chat
1: with other people. All right, let's let's get some takes right here. We'll get right into our news and notes section. As we tend to do on the show, we focus everything and everything on our fab considerations. Only a couple of weeks left of that. Our budgets are as thin as they can be in most situations. So a- any information that we can provide that can help narrow that down, we're gonna try to keep doing that. So right into our news and notes section, there's only a couple of things to go over. So Kevin, I'm gonna start with you with kind of a big one that may or may not affect what you consider doing with your fab. But Zach Wheeler, he hits the IL, seems to be more of a tentative or precautionary move on the part of the Phillies. But he's expected to miss the next two turns of the rotation. Hopefully not any more than that, but we don't really know. How long do you hold Wheeler if you've got him rostered anywhere, hoping to get him back for the final weeks of the season? And then on the other flip side, like who's at least in the short term, who, who are you looking at to take his spot in the Phillies rotation?
2: I'll start with who's taking him, his spot and it'll be Bailey Falter again this week, I believe. He pitched on Friday evening versus Pittsburgh. Decent outing, did give up two home runs, but only three earned runs in six innings pitch, got the win, had the strikeouts there as he has his last two outings versus Pittsburgh. And we'd hope that would happen in, in that spot going against the Pittsburgh lineup. And that's what... Kind of is really interesting about him and Wheeler here. I'm assuming the two starts included Friday night that they expect Wheeler to miss because it, I believe they said two bullpens and then right back into the rotation. He would falter, would get Arizona this Wednesday, which is a nice matchup. He's pitched pretty well in his. He only gave up one earned run versus the Mets in his previous outing. He's now had two this time around back in the rotation. And then the following week, whether it is Wheeler or Falter, this is why we're going to want to keep a really close eye on this. It's probably two starts. I know we're getting away from the two start pitchers. There's so many things going on with rotations and things, but, the, whoever is in that rotation spot probably gets Miami the following Tuesday and then Washington that weekend. If they don't get the two starts for some reason, they get Miami again the following week. So I do falter in his spot this week. And yeah, you have to hold Wheeler at least till unless something goes wrong with one of these bullpens that they're going to give him before putting him back in the rotation. The matchups are just too good for either one of them.
1: Yeah, but this the forearm issue, you never want to hear about any kind of pitcher, but it does sound like it's more of a precautionary thing so it doesn't get worse in... You know, like you said, you to do them bullpens and we'll have you and see how it goes. I, you got to worry, though, that it ends up being worse than that the, they're initially reporting, at least for this first week, as we tend to say, Kevin, you say this all the time. You got to hold on for one more week, even with only five or six weeks left in the season, just to see Wheeler's too good, especially with those matchups. I can imagine. I've
3: got Wheeler in in tout that I'm playing yeah. in, and I have no plans to cut him. I've been decimated by injuries like all season, had a horrific start. I'm on a nuts streak right now I think I've won six or seven straight weeks as soon as I got to Grom back Grom back Peralta back and I had Wheeler my rotation was built around that it's a points league though but I've got no intentions of dropping him and also just pointing out like the Phillies Phillies are showing relatively aggressive signs and look at Bryce Harper Bryce Harper I know it's a different thing but Bryce Harper's rehab was cut short as soon as he started looking good and they threw him right back out there I think you'd have similar things going on with Wheeler. And I agree with Falter. Like, I don't think he's very sexy, but a good powered offense with any matchup that isn't something that you're running from the streets for, you got to take that risk at this point. And also you assess everybody, you assess your need based on you and your risk level. Because I think the guys that we're talking about here, like the next one and this one, these are players and yeah, that's cool. If you can get some extra starts and this might replace a certain player in a rotation, but he's just going to blow everything up. Falter's got a pretty good opportunity, but based on matchups, but it's still, if you didn't need it, I might shy away so I don't blow up any of my, any of my categories.
1: Yeah. Falter. I lost Wheeler in one of my, in my daily moves leagues and Falter would have been the correct move. Obviously after yesterday's start, instead I was stuck with Mitch White, which I thought was going to be a good matchup plays, so (laughs) matchup plays are always at this time of year usually the safest bet to go with so if your know is going to stick around and get those matchups that you guys are talking about going to be somebody that's worth targeting at least while wheelers out for sure all right chris we got another il another a big time starting pitcher It's helping a lot of fantasy leagues this year going on the il nestor cortez of the yankees hits the il and aaron boone announced that clark schmidt is going to take his rotation spot he's scheduled to start on sunday probably as everybody's listening to this, you followed Schmidt and your prospects list for a couple of years. How has your view changed on Clark Schmidt over the years as you've moved him up and down lists throughout the course of the years during his prospectum? And do you think he can stick in the Yankees rotation, even if this is just like a, a preview for 2023?
3: I lean against it. He's interesting. And it's really tough to crack the Yankees rotation. And I think he's showing that, but is he showing that because it's super hard to crack it based on high end talent, or is it because there are some struggles? big He's fastball, big curveball pitcher who's just struggled with command out of his last games pitched with the Yankees. He's had one game where he has not walked a batter. In his last three, he's walked six, and he hasn't gotten out of the third inning. He's gone three innings this whole time. To be able to stretch him, I don't think he's a big repertoire guy. I worry about the box there if that curveball is not sitting well. And that's the problem with some of these guys where if you don't have high-end secondaries, and let's just say it's even the curveball, that's a little bit more dangerous in a slider or something like that. If Mm -hmm. that curveball's not working... And he's already got some command issues, which he's shown. What's going to happen? It's going to be fastball. And what's going to happen with major league hitters? They're going to crank it. So (laughs) I think he has a similar upside in what we were talking about with falter, just because this is a high powered offense. Opportunities for wins are there. But I actually think I would rather have falter because I don't know if I trust Schmidt being able to go really deep into games and I don't trust that he's not going to get himself into big trouble. This might be a piggyback situation. Yankees, in, as far as like their low end pitching development, I don't know. I think it's struggled a little bit for some of the internal guys. There's been a lot of injuries as far as the guys being able to say, Davy Garcia, like it's crazy that we're not talking about Davy Garcia anymore. And he's completely disappeared off the planet. I think this falls along the exact same lines of what you said before with Falter. It's like These are two guys. That I would be dicey about. Yes, they're filling rotation spots with their team. We can look at the replacement of the players, but what I'd be looking in other spots, I might. And that's what I know we're going to have this conversation. But with September coming up and rosters expanding, and also prospect eligibility gone, there might be a handful of younger starting pitchers on less awesome teams that would be better options than these guys. So I'm dicey. I would pick Falter over him. I don't feel super great about Clark Schmidt, really based on his inability to go deep into games and his pitching repertoire with command.
1: Yeah, moving forward into 2023, the Yankees obviously always have their eye on the prize as far as free agency goes. So even if yeah. there, it does seem like there might be an opening, doesn't mean that opening is going to stick by... Yeah, this, and they had September a young kid,
3: either. yeah, Luis Eel, who, who got injured, who I think is a better bet to get in. You got Severino coming back. You've got free agency. They made that big move for Montes, And I don't know if you saw the rumor. It's so funny this happened because during the trade deadline, I had, this was like literally one of my guesses and they didn't do it. And I was like, oh man, I really thought the Yankees and Pablo Lopez were going to be a connection and nothing came of it. Then a, a rumor came out that, that I don't know if you saw it. It was like Glaber. I'm forgetting what it was now. Of course, it was like Glaber and another prospect that they could have gotten Pablo Lopez and something else. And the Yankees declined to move glaber torres and whoever the other prospect was it does, maybe it was matter. clark yeah. schmidt or yeah it doesn't even <laughs> matter at this point but it's the constant look for rotation how often do we see them build from within with these guys we really don't so back to the big question of hey is clark schmidt going to be a 2023 option i think in the bullpen but i don't think in the starting rotation
1: yeah it seems like the yankees treat their rotations similarly to like dynasty fantasy players treat Rotation. There's no such thing as the as a prospect pitcher. Yeah, there's no such thing as a
3: pitching prospect. They're tradable (laughs) (laughs) assets. That's why. I mean, hey, you know what? That's a great way to do it. The Padres, the Simi, doing that with the moves they've made. It's not a bad way to go. Curate the best talent for your for your development organization and prop them up. This is not, by the way, something that's unheard of. In that teams will get prospect. Not saying that they draft a prospect, but once they have all these guys in they'll put these guys in the best situations to look the best, whether it's keeping them down in certain levels and upping their value so they can end up moving them. And that's a big, like a big brain move in baseball that I think the Yankees absolutely implement. And uh, we see more of those guys in the bullpen than we do the rotation. So it's a lot about Clark Schmidt, but I'm just not super interested in them.
1: There you go. All right, let's go into an actual bullpen situation. Kevin, the Astros put Ryan Presley on the IL. So, Easy question, like who's filling in his closure spot until he comes back? Because assuming Presley comes back, he gets put right back into that spot. So this is a short-term fix. Who are you looking at to fill that
2: hole? I think for the most part, it'll be Rafael Montero. Hector Narice is there. Will Smith is there. The possibility that they could get in there depending on usage in other games and matchups. But Montero did get the first save opportunity with Presley out the other night. And it appears to be the the guy that they will use in that situation. He's been good his last five or six outings. He did have three outings in a row where he gave up runs earlier this month. But now it appears to be back on track. And I think he's the guy and sometimes i typically like teams playing a lot of game for my closers and houston is one of the teams that only plays five games this week and it may actually work to montero's advantage if you're thinking in terms of him getting the save opportunities depending on what his usage is over the rest of the weekend they have monday off they have thursday off so he'll be rested and i think he'll be the guy
1: yeah that's a good point to make we talk about especially in these Committee situations. If a guy's going one or two days in a row, regardless of when he's using the game, he's gonna get time off because you've got this committee going. But if he's got built-in days off, it's a lot harder for him to hit those back-to-back outings and have to be forced to the bench in the in a safe situation when a safe situation arises. That's a it's an interesting way to look at it as well as far as scheduling goes. All right, Chris, we got a couple of younger pitchers that have their. They've had their rotation spots skipped this past week and possibly into the future as well. Josiah Gray, the Nationals, and Christian Javier of the aforementioned Astros had their rotation spots skipped. Dusty Baker, I believe, said that Javier could still be in like as a piggyback in the future as well. But Besides these guys, or what other young starter pitchers can we see this happening to down the stretch? And is there, on the opposite end, do you see any younger guys that have come up that may be immune to this? I know that's far and few between, but is there anybody out there that Mm. you don't see this happening to?
3: There's the number one guy that came to my mind is actually the like paradox of this, and it's Spencer Strider because Spencer Strider. You feel like with the way he's pitching, he's he's got to be immune to this. But this is the most inning Strider has ever pitched in a season. And if the Bra- Braves trying to make any type of whatever they're doing, like you can't press this kid. This kid is the future. He looks like that funny, that funny Shane McClanahan light type of thing where it's, hey, it's the next big strikeout guy. This was a bet I made this year. I got so much crap about Strider too, by the way, online. When early in the year, I was bringing up, I remember asking, and anyone who listens to me knows this one, because I still bring it up to this day, because I don't really forget things, was I had asked on the internet very early on Strider versus Ashby, and everyone lost their mind about me asking this question. And now I like to remind everybody anytime I can, when we have that conversation, how ridiculous it is that we can't just ask questions because people were like, and it was actually Nick got on there and Nick was poking at it. And then it was some other picture list people, not I think listeners or whatever that were poking at. It. And I was like, guys, you got to have this conversation. Strider is an insane, incredible talent and everyone sees it now. But to that point, what does the team do? Do they skip a start? Do they? I don't think they have the depth that they would want to put in like a six man rotation like I think another team can do. So I do think there's the possibility if there is someone that's immune, it's totally him. But I do think there's a possibility, even though the number doesn't look insane itself. It's at 10, I think it's 106.2. So you finish out the rest of the year based off of a lot of projections. Like the bat has him at 32 more innings. He's like 140 innings. Insane? No, it's not. But. I, I think it's on the line that there could be a potential a skip start. I think the most obvious name is George Kirby, a young pitcher like him who's missed some time, He missed some time with injuries last year developmentally. The innings are just not quite there. I think that is a definite possibility. But again, you have a team that's in contention and this one doesn't really fall along the lines of the same pitchers you're talking about, but maybe more into Javier is I still can't get over Tony Gonsolin. With what Tony Gonsolin's done, because again, you're dealing with the same stuff with innings and injuries and how far this team needs to go. And also you're just looking at you're looking at overall overall winning percentages and how successful he's been. Obviously, he's got 16 wins, but he's got 128 innings, which I'm trying to look here. I don't. Yeah, it's not remotely close to season where he's ever had this many innings the regression train never came for him it missed his stop there are all these things (laughs) that look like highest or lowest Babbitt pitch to, and there's just so many factors you would look at with tony gonsolin that was like he's gonna he's gonna come backwards a little bit he hasn't i've been a little bit worried that this would be the time and the dodgers though have the depth in the minor leagues to lower those innings a guy like Bobby Miller, Gavin Stone, you've seen Mitch White out there. Obviously, they're dealing with inju- injuries, not having like Walker Buehler back. I just it's in the back of my mind a little bit that maybe Gonsolin misses one or two important starts at the back end of this September because what are the what do the Dodgers really need to do with that? anyways that I think that's a possibility I really do think Gonsolin could be a possibility to have one or two skip and save him for the playoffs with how great he's been
1: yeah obviously Gonsolin's been a pleasant surprise to the extreme that he has been pitching this year but with the not only the extra innings that he's been doing but with the tremendous lead that the Dodgers have they can they have a lot of flexibility in that I wonder it doesn't really apply to Atlanta because they have Michael Harris but if Strider was the only one on the team that's driving that's driving force toward the rookie of the year award, the National League rookie of the year, I wonder if that would be a driving force to keep pushing them, keep pushing them because of the incentive that teams get by winning the award starting this year. Obviously, well, Harris is in line for the award as well, but they're going neck and neck. But if Strider was the only one, I wonder if that would play a fact.
3: So here's this unique thing, though, is that from what I remember, is I think they these guys had to be consensus, and this is a really weird thing about it. They had to be in the top 100 of two of the three major outlets that baseball acknowledges. It was like Pipeline, Baseball America, and you got to forgive me, I don't remember what the other one is, is there has to be like a top 100 designation for the prospect also. So Strider technically, as far as wouldn't I be. know, wouldn't have qualified for that. But it's funny you say that. There's actually a little part of me that wonders if because you have the two overwhelming favorites in the nl rookie of the year are those two it's michael harris there's no one remotely close like in the al Julio Jul- rodriguez has this almost locked but the next person is at plus two and a half and it's adley rutschman adley- and right. bobby bobby wade jr is 33 plus 3, 33 to one to win it now i'm just telling you those odds over there it is only the two nl guys but i wonder if there would almost be a sense of hey you can't pull me When I'm racing with this guy for the award, there's a actual (laughs) internal competition of Strider not wanting to lose opportunity when it is literally versus him and Harrison. There's incentive stuff that's built in for winning those awards. Yeah, I don't know. Strider is an anomaly. I just, with how good he is, it is so hard to imagine them pulling him. But September is literally maintenance time for great teams. It is maintenance time for great teams to not overextend themselves, even though we all want them. That's. Also a little side note to like maybe why people should consider leagues moving up. I It would take such a big move for the industry because you need industry standards, but Bogman and I have always fought like we don't play the final week or two of baseball because that's nonsense. But also like, I think there's something to ending baseball before September comes up. It's not as bad. as like you, you mentioned that way earlier. It's not as bad as it used to be where it was like September call ups and no one's here. I think it's only three guys now that are added to yeah, the roster. Sure. So it is different, but at the same time though you still have a lot of the same stuff that goes on it's not exactly like it was before and playing into september as fun and cool as it is when you can go and pick up the the kid that no one's heard of that's going to pitch a game and he goes six and he strikes out ten and all of a sudden you've just won your fantasy league because of it also having your biggest star sit during that period of time whether it's for injury or just maintenance for the playoffs it sucks and it, it really hampers it so we've always been like if you could And if everyone would please adopt the idea of inning at the end of August, I think that would actually be a really good idea. But we'll get, we get to see more of what this new September looks like. And it's not quite as bad. And hopefully, guys like Spencer Strider are not pushed out of
1: starts. Yeah. I am very, I've heard you guys talk about that quite a bit. At the very least, I am very pro treat the last week of the season like week 17 in football like it just doesn't yeah. exist that's, that's yeah the same no thing week.
3: with football yeah which turn into 18 yeah. now by the way because they have right, an extra sure. game but yeah 100 percent, don't play into the final week that is nonsense it is it's it's always going to be great for one or two guys in your leagues that are going to fight like, oh come on guys let's play it's now because you're staying up till midnight and you're picking up the kid that no one knows is starting and stuff like that and you're dropping Ronald Acuna to pick up whoever it is. And that's just not fun for me. That's not fun. Everybody also, there's so much push for everyone wants to play Roto because Roto is the fairest. And I personally still like playoffs and head to head. It's not fun or fair when you lose your best players because a team wants to sit them for three games for the playoffs. So finding a stabilization, I think is just really important, but that's like Mm -hmm. diet. It's a soapbox
1: stuff. All right, Kevin, we got a couple of good news here for, I guess it's all perspective, but mostly it's good news. We got, some returns from the IL for the Yankees. They got Giancarlo Stanton back, and then the Phillies got Bryce Harper back from the IL. So with these two all-stars or all-star type players coming back, who is getting kicked out of their respective lineups to make room for each?
2: For the Yankees, we talked about this briefly last week when we were talking actually about the outfield, but We were talking about what's going to happen with the infield when Stanton Stanton comes back and he's the designated hitter because they'd been using the infielders in that spot. And we went through the lineup and it's like, where does DJ LeMahieu play? He didn't in one game and he played first base and Rizzo sat in the other. That's what we've seen so far. And that's going to continue to happen. They're going to shuffle these guys around. I think all of the infielders will miss days. LeMahieu can play second base and Glaber will miss a day. So I think that's the way it shakes out for the Yankees, getting Stanton in there as much as possible in the designated hitter spot. In Philadelphia,
1: Stanton's going to miss some time as well. Like he's going to get a maintenance day off, especially coming back from his injury and his history as well.
2: They're going to shuffle guys around. And in Philadelphia, we saw Derek Hall get sent down because he was not able to get in the lineup when Kyle Schwarber came back initially because Schwarber was playing designated hitter, Reese Hoskins at first base, there's no room for Derek Hall. Now they finally get Schwarber back in left field, and Harper comes back, great for their lineup, definitely no room for Hall, who's already been sitting down, And now Maton's going to miss some days. Vierlin has been playing nearly every day in the outfield. They got Bradley Zimmer now. So those guys are going to shuffle back and forth and miss out on some playing time because there's just not a designated hitter. And if Harper gets a rest day, which we will... Expect to happen, much like you brought up with Stanton. They're going to let Schwarber DH that day, most likely, right. to give him a bit of a rest as well.
1: All right, back to the back to some pitching, Chris. We got Kate Cavalli making his MLB debut with the Nationals on Friday. Even after that outing, is he sticking around with the Washington rotation through the end of the season? I
3: don't. I have a hard time believing it would be every start. I, I do think there's another starter two on the table. He was one of the guys. Something I do annually on prospect one as I do a AFL prediction show. I care about the Arizona fall league probably more than most people because I live here and I get to live and breathe it. So not everybody else does. If you consider it, if you like prospects, there's no other prospect, great coverage after the season. Once like September 12th or 13th hits it's over it's all over so i think it's a really important time and why it's so important is it's as it's known as the finishing school it's the finishing school of prospects that you go there to either get the extra innings you're not used to in a season so it can prepare for the next year or if you've missed time during the year and you can work on a few things and you can get those extra reps so you could be playing maybe as soon as next year and a reason i'm mentioning that is that i figured that cavalli would be one of those guys And he falls into this space. What's going to be interesting is like, where does he fall in that? Is he viewed as a top 100 prospect? Because this would be something the Nationals, it would be advantageous of them to let him break with the rotation next year if they feel he's ready, because that's one of those guys that could be in the line to get a lot of strikeouts, maybe pull up some wins and be in that race for the Rookie of the Year award. But I thought he would be at the Arizona Fall League. So my assumption would be he's not going to finish out. I think there could be a couple starts in line. He was pretty decent in it. The overall problem, though, is his walks. He's just a walk heavy guy in the minor leagues before he came up. I think five of his last six starts, he had multi walks in games. I think three or three or four of them, three walk games, which has been a consistent problem. He was getting a bunch of swing and miss on his stuff in his first start. I believe he had six strikeouts. I love the curveball had a 40% whiff percentage on it, and he used it 30% of the time felt very Hunter Green esque in that type of performance fastball was up it got some good spin hit it right around 98 this is a big power pitcher who has struggled with finding himself in command it this is like the best version of what like you would love clark schmidt to be but i don't think clark schmidt has the stuff on the fastball there's also some really nice implied movement on his fastball he hit like a 2500 rpm in that first game and he uses two other pitches at a double digit clip at least he did in this first one so i don't know i have a hard time believing that they would really press him not that he can't exhaust his prospect eligibility, but I don't know what it would do for them to let him finish. But I would be interested in monitoring for pickups any of the half-decent matchups. I don't want him against the Cardinals. I don't want I don't want him also against really, what am I trying to say, really walk-heavy teams. So not that they would play them, but like the Guardians or the one that come to my mind. I wouldn't want him against them because those are teams that are going to sit a lot more on his stuff, are going to be a lot less swing-happy But I'd be willing to take a risk on Braves team. I don't know how it lines up. I didn't look at the schedule for Cavalli. Braves team who's really swing and miss heavy. That would be something I think that he could take advantage of and maybe sneak some wins in. But really patient teams probably going to avoid because I think he's going to have a few little bumps. He had some bad early bumps early in the year as well. He's found a little bit of rhythm, big strikeouts. I'd love to see another start or two, and I probably would stream it if I had the opportunity.
1: They didn't know the AFL. They didn't. They kept the rule where anybody can be assigned major league players, minor league players. No. Uh, okay. They go back. They go back to if you have major league experience, you're not eligible.
3: Yeah, it's a little complicated and a little they've gone back and forth and whatnot. The reason it's funny you say that because there was a year that Kyle Schwarber came. Mm -hmm. Kyle Schwarber came in the playoffs this is this famous thing that happened where he came and had three games of at bats because he hadn't played all year i'm forgetting the year but he came to to hit here so he could get into the playoffs for the world series how it works typically is it's like high a they had these exemptions they've changed it blah 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 you won't see non-prospect players it's prospect players it's usually double a and above but teams are given exemptions on low A and international players. At the end of the day, all the exemptions don't really matter. It's five to seven players that each team wants to see develop a little bit more, whether rule five is coming up and they want to see what they have, whether it's baiting for trade, or is it really a possibility of somebody that they are going to give playing time to? Or like I said, extra reps of players. There's a couple Mm -hmm. guys that I think are on the potential you know, or at least one guy who's on the potential could be called up in the next week or so that is assuredly going to the AFL because of missed time. There's multiple prospects that have missed some serious time. And that kind of lines them up for that AFL. It's always so weird. It's funny that you're mentioning that because I almost want to get clarity on it again, because it used to be really tight. But at this point, it's just they've got an exemption for every scenario outside of major league players playing.
2: Yeah. Luca Tresh went for the Royals last year. He had 39 low A plate appearances and he was there for the Royals.
3: Exactly. And they've got all these, I think he was the one of only two, I think Luke Waddell and him were the only drafted players from that draft class that had come in. So those are those weird exemptions. And there's some rumors of, I've heard a rumor of one actual guy who was just drafted very high that would be in this year's AFL. So there's a a lot of stuff. I don't even know if I finished my sentence from before, but yeah, like I do my prediction show of the AFL and I'm excited to, I haven't got my brain into it for next week. I'll start doing the predicting and I'll throw in a, I've already heard a couple names of people that will be going to the AFL that haven't been announced or anything, but it will be exciting.
1: And I think Kate Cavalli could be one of them. Keep an ear out for that prospect one episode, everybody. I know it's an episode that I listen to on a yearly basis as well, because it's just a lot of fun to hear the guys that you know you obviously are following these players regularly and you have some different insights into it's interesting to hear your take as to why a player would be considered or not considered even though like top like certain top prospects you're like no i don't think there's a reason for him to be going to the AFL or other names that you're be like well, this guy will probably go but he's who cares and
3: <laughs> yeah it's a really weird experience and i know like a ton of people don't at the end of the day what anyone wants is just like who's going who do you think is right. going and but i'm very like this is something people know about me. If you listen to me long enough, I work a lot of stuff out live. Like you will, if you enjoy hearing those type of things, I will work things out live, just speaking. And sometimes that's the best way where I'm not a writer. I'm not a great writer. Maybe if I spend time with it, but like good writers will sit and you work and you write and you delete. And that's me verbally. I will verbally work things out. So when I talk about it, I will like verbally just go through. So this doesn't make sense here. And I don't understand why this and I'll just do that on the podcast. But there are situations like Ezekiel Tovar, not trying to make this into a big prospect thing. Zico Tovar, one of the biggest boosted prospects from this past year with Colorado. In my ADPs, he was going around the 190s last year as far as how people were drafting him. And he's a top 15 guy now. Like mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest moves over the last 12 months we've seen in a single prospect. And he went to the AFL last year and he was okay. He wasn't great. He was, I think he was the youngest player there. He was playing in Salt River. I've talked about this. Me and Eno spent some time, and Eno like did not like him, and I didn't particularly love him. And he then has had one of the best seasons this year. And it was like, why did they send him last year? There was no major league possibility. And he was a low A guy. He was the youngest player there. What was the logic behind it? I still don't know it, but guess what? It worked out because he's had one of the biggest jumps.
1: So, so a lot of different reasons players can end up going to AFL. And those who are going to be jumping in at the very tail end of that at Baseball HQ's first pitch will be able to enjoy most of that as well. I know you get Chris, you get the luxury of being there pretty much every day. I just live day. here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm not,
3: they don't, uh, there's no red carpet that's rolled out for me. There never has been. But I just live here. So I just show bust up. in. I just show up. I'm at the games. I play the poker tournament. I'll show up the after things but I'm not a part of any of the conference stuff. Will you guys be there? Will I be able to say hi to you guys?
1: Kevin, yeah, I'll be it. there. Oh, Okay, good. I'm Kevin, still let's trying meet up when you get finagle
2: Absolutely. Yeah, last season I showed up to I got there a day early and showed up That's at an afternoon it. game and I remember walking into the game. There's as usual weekday day game. a Couple hundred people there walk down behind home plate and there's you and there's Chris Clegg and there's, Eno, and I'm like, yeah, here we go. This is going to be. A great oh Yeah. Here's
3: the guys. Here's the boys. Yeah. yeah. Actually. Yeah. I think I remember that day. Was it Clegg or blessing? Not that this matters because he was there. Too. Had...
2: Blessing was there as well.
3: Yeah. Was that in Mesa? I believe so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We had actually, we were just interviewing. I think I had, I did one of my worst interviews of all time that I didn't air actually because I, and it wasn't, I've had a couple like really bad, like, Interviewees during that league, Austin Wells with the Yankees was pretty brutal. I've had a couple others, but it was the worst interview I ever conducted in my life, and it was with Curtis Mead, who's of the Tampa Bay Rays. He's the nicest guy. If you watch the Fall Stars game, he was mic'd up, he's from Australia. And I just some I don't I was rusty because you know, the year before with COVID, you couldn't do anything. So there was no um access, there was no anything. And this was like me getting to interview a guy after 18 months or whatever. And I'd interviewed a couple guys on Zoom, like Alec Thomas and stuff. And I don't know what happened. It was like my first or second interview. And I just asked nothing bad, but just stupid. Just du- I was so dumb. And uh, I think I still think about the one. Qua- I can't say it because it's make me laugh too much. But I asked <laughs> something that was so stupid that in asking it, I was like, oh, I'm not going to air this because I'm so ridiculous. And he was the nicest guy on the planet. He was so nice. He couldn't have been kinder about it. He left. That was that day because that's why I just remember in Mesa, that was where I interviewed him. That was that day. So you almost witness history in the dumbest interview that ever was conducted that I should delete the file, but I haven't.
1: But it'll be good to see <laughs> you there. Delete, burn all the evidence. Yes, please. <laughs> all right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for our news and notes section of this episode. As always, as I mentioned, I'm sure we missed a bunch of things worth noting. A certain highly touted prospect made a lot of money that but these things don't affect your fab. So to keep up with the news of the day, make sure you're listening to the First Pitch podcast, with Chad Young, Scott Chu, and Daniel Port. They break down all the news, highlights, and observations from every day's worth of games, as well as looking ahead at each slate to keep you up to date with everything you need to know to win your fantasy league. Just a moment. We're going to talk a little bit more to Chris about who might be getting a head start on the 2023 rookie that you're voting. Before we do that, let's take this quick break. All right, guys, we are back. Of course, you were listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined, as always, by Kevin Hastings. And we are very lucky to have with us Chris Welsh on on the show to talk a little bit about rookie of the year voting. Not 2022. I think we already mentioned the front runners for those, and they're far and few between at this point in the season. But we're looking ahead at 2023. And we touched on a couple of these other players about the way the teams may or may not be manipulating when they call up these top prospects, we talked about it on the show a couple of times. Corbin Carroll, who you obviously are aware of, Chris, should be coming up to Arizona at least, based on some news and notes that we've heard over the last week or two. But the fact that he they waited until this point of the season to even make that kind of an announcement makes me w- w- wonder how much they're manipulating, keeping these prospects with the rookie eligibility for the following year. So they can they can attempt to go for that a rookie the year. At least I think they I think teams get different compensation based on where they fall in the voting yeah. at the end yeah, of it's it's just the, the winners. New,
3: no, it's the new manipulation. It's pretty crazy. It's not as like egregious, I suppose, as the beginning. but I don't know. At the end of the day it's all one and the same. It's just they did something to curb manipulation on the front end. And they've now just added it to the back end. And you just wish, I just wish the CBA would have figured out something with super twos and just all that stuff. But yeah, now teams have an advantage to let them break camp and start the season and do all that stuff. But they're going to hold them back. And that's exactly what's happening. And yeah, like you said, to actually answer your question. It looks like they have a compensation for the top three in voting. So the weirdness of it is they've got to be a designated like top 100 prospect by the standards of God. I wish I could remember what the third one was. It was Pipeline, which is MLBs. It was Baseball America. There's one other that they pay attention to. And for the life of me, I cannot recall. But if they have the relative designation of being on two of the three lists in the top 100, then they break camp. If they and they break camp in the new year. If they finish first, it's like first round compensation. And then if they finish second and third, yeah, forgive me, I don't really quite remember. It might be like a second round pick and then the other's like a compensatory pick or something like that. But there's compensation for finishing inside the top three of Rookie of the Year awards if they break camp with the team. Teams didn't really crazily prepare for that this year. There wasn't a whole bunch. And obviously Julio, Bobby Witt, Spencer Torkelson was technically one of those guys. So like Michael Harris winning it would not qualify for them to win extra compensation because he didn't break camp. So that's that. But this coming year is where I think teams are full on preparing. And really, I think every single team had to have had a meeting to to (laughs) be into consideration to do this because you're leaving considerable assets on the table if you're not doing this at this point. And teams, let's say the Dodgers, maybe that doesn't really matter to them. They're just, whatever, we're going to do it. They don't need, they'll trade away whatever they can. They're trading out compensatory picks. They don't really care. They'll buy free agents to lose picks and it doesn't matter. But teams like the Orioles and the Diamondbacks and the obvious two teams that have prospects, they have to take advantage of this. So I would imagine 60% of baseball has to be giving a hard consideration to who are the guys that are on the table to break camp to come next year. We have to make sure they don't lose eligibility this year, and they have to be trying to vie for that because this is a new big piece that could really help alter. Imagine if the, the Orioles had a top pick, and then, which they always do, and then they also... <laughs> had Gunner break camp next year and win rookie of the year. And then they got another first round pick. That's a, that changes your player pool. That's an organizational change, especially if development's struggling. I don't know. I just think it's got to be into the big key plans and it is, it's a hundred percent, the new way of manipulation. We just don't fully understand it yet. We still don't understand. We don't even have all the rules lined up, but this is going to be a really big, important year this next month leading into the beginning of next year is going to tell us so much about what we are going to be on the lookout for this in the future.
1: Yeah. And we, we talked about, we mentioned Carol, Gunnar Henderson came up obviously in the news as well as an expectation. Is there, are there any players that you're expecting that haven't been in the major news about expectations of coming up, even if it's just via like the figurative cup of coffee, just to get them a little bit of a a couple of at-bats, a couple of innings under their belt so that they're ready for spring training next year to break camp versus guys that may actually make a difference in head-to-head playoffs coming up in September that are going to play it regular every day. And obviously we see that in on teams like the Pirates and at one point the Orioles and what have you that are aren't they don't have a lot to play for and they yeah. want to give that time. Is there any names that kind of come to mind?
3: Obviously Gunnar and Carroll are like the number one and number two. I fully expect them to get some version. I expect them to break camp next year. I expect both those teams to use them As their as their horse to get to those extra picks next year. I think Josh Young with the Rangers is one. He missed a lot of time this year due to injury. He was dealing with a shoulder injury. I saw him in spring training with the big old cast and the thing. And then it came off. And then I was at his debut like a month or so ago out here in the complex. And he looked pretty decent. He was just getting back under himself. He looked athletically. He was great. And bat speed was there. He wasn't getting the ball up. And he is destroying baseballs now. He's got six homers. I don't have it in front of me, but I know six homers AAA in AAA and maybe like 15 games. He looks all the part ready to go. I can see why the team, they even said that nothing was imminent with him, but this is a kid that was already almost major league ready, missed a lot of time, has a lot of at-bats there. And I would imagine, because the minor league season is coming to a close, that I think it's like around the 10th or 11th. I think he probably finishes through there. And then he comes up and he gets the rest of the season at bat. So maybe the last 15 to 20 days, which is going to be not great for everybody else here, maybe right at the end, he'll get some time and then he'll go to the Arizona Fall League. There's no doubt in my mind. He's going to the Arizona Fall League. He missed all those at bats. If he's going to break camp, that's the guy. He's a top prospect. He's got a great hit tool. I would say he's him and Gunner might be one, two for the early rookie of the year guys that you should be looking at. As far as the AL goes, I'd also say on the NL side, Francisco Alvarez has just disappeared on everybody's mind. And I think there's no, I can't imagine a scenario where Francisco Alvarez isn't getting at least some run at DH for the Mets. So I think that one comes sooner rather than later. They don't want to exhaust it. He probably is a DH second catcher next season, and then I, so I really think like you're, if you're looking at like the next year's odds, it's probably Carol Alvarez for NL and it's Gunner Young for AL. And then there'll be a couple guys we don't expect if Grayson Rodriguez were to break camp with the Orioles, that's a guy that you have got to throw in. To consideration for rookie of the year stuff maybe even DL Hall if he has like a big turnaround those are a couple AL pitchers I guess I tend to always line into into hitters when I think about any of these things but but yeah those would be a few of the guys as far as rookie of the year and that would get some little cup of coffees that'll keep their rookie of the year eligibility for next
1: year I think there's a lot of people that thought Young was going to break camp this year obviously pre injury with the moves that the Rangers made they pretty much Opened up third base <laughs> on a silver platter, trading off. I say falafel, <laughs> IKF out there and making it yeah, a little falafel, bit easier. Yeah, falafel. <laughs> yeah, I say a kind of falafel. And not signing another third baseman for the most part to fill that gap. Obviously, injuries derailed that that aspect. So, wouldn't be surprised for him to follow the exact path that you just outlined, Kevin. When it comes to these kind of players, especially in September as they're getting called up, how much are you? not so much planning on utilizing these types of players to bump you up in a certain category, but like, how much have you found over the years for it to be actually useful, especially when you're looking for very specific categories that you're fighting for in Roto Leagues rather than your head-to-head Leagues where you might just be looking for whoever's going to be the best option for that particular week?
2: I think, well... It's a little different. And Chris talked about this. We don't have nearly the expansion that we used to, but I still think that a couple of these guys in the spots they're using, the category specifically is speed. The stolen bases is typically what we see, especially on lesser teams. Some of the guys getting called up, that's how they can show off their skills. And those are the teams that let them run. So it's typically stolen bases from some of these guys that get called up late specifically in September.
1: These will be guys that you need to keep an eye out for. And also the impact that they might make on the rosters that they are coming in for. Gunnar Henderson has been playing multiple positions lately as seen first base. Yeah. Second base base as well.
3: Yeah. Gunnar and Carroll, by the way, completely qualify for Kevin said, right? Those are the guys that Carroll also would be big, impactful stolen bases. There's not a lot of others that, I even I look at like my top 100 and I'm trying to just glance through and see, all right, who are some of the guys that maybe fit that mold of what Kevin was talking about? Like, hey, if we can get some stolen base the one guy I keep looking at is Pedro Leon with the Astros who struggled for batting average a lot this year, but he plays multiple positions. He's got big power and he can run. He's definitely one of those guys that if he comes up, they might put in a situation to maybe it's pinch hit. Maybe it's just get a few starts in. He's got some big power when he connects and he runs. He's a high stolen base, bad batting average power guy that if he gets going, the swing is pretty nice. He could maybe fit that mold.
1: All right, guys, let's move on from 2023 Rookie of the Year talk, which I appreciate because I think there's a lot of these players that people are going to be excited about in the next couple of weeks in FAB as they are called up. As we tend to be, every single time a prospect gets called up, at the very least, we got to talk about it, see how much excitement is actually warranted. But let's talk about the guys that are available right here and right now to fill the specific categories that we might be looking for to chip away in the final few weeks, as we tend to do. We're going to break it down category by category, three offensive, three three pitching, and get your guys' takes on who you might be looking at to fill your roster spots and give yourself a bump this coming week. Kevin, I'm going to lean on you to start here. We're going to start with our power categories, our home runs, our RBIs. Who's out there right now that might be able to hit a couple of home runs for your teams this coming week.
2: It's been a lot of fun watching what Albert Pujols has done over the past two to three weeks. And he is available in 12 team leagues, specifically only 18% rostered in online championship. He is over 60% rostered in the 15 team main events and almost 50% on Yahoo, where he probably was picked up throughout the week after his he had another home run on Monday. Off of the Cubs there, which is, brings me to my point. He's playing against lefties, and we know that's what's going to happen. He's got ten home runs in a hundred plate appearances this season off of lefties. The Cardinals face at least two of them this week, one the first half of the week, one over the weekend, possibly another. We don't know who Cincinnati's going to send out there on Monday, possibly a bullpen game, in which case we would expect Pujols to get into the game as a pinch hitter, even if he's not in the starting lineup and throughout the week. So we're going to see double-digit plate appearances for the week. Hopefully that's enough to get another home run or two, three consecutive weeks now with home runs. Three consecutive scoring periods, if that's what we're after. And multiple for the first two of those with the weekend to go here this week as well. So, yeah, Pools is – he's really selling out for – pulling the ball versus left-handed pitching. He wasn't always like this, I, obviously. You're not just hitting home runs off lefties and getting close to 700 of them for a career. But over the past three seasons, his production versus lefties has gradually, and then this year, much more been far better than against righties.
1: Yeah, I'm just seeing what Poole's doing. Yeah. It's going to be really sad when he hits 699 and just stops right there.
2: <laughs> be so bummed. Be I'm one of those. that's just going to be a, yes, I'm rooting for 700, but just pass a rod. I'm one of those. Uh, yeah, right. there we 696. go. 696. Get there.
1: He's on his way to that. It'll be nice to see it because I won't be surprised if this ends up being not his swan song season. If he doesn't hit 700, if he doesn't hit 700, he comes back and signs a two week contract with somebody who's going to give him some at bats just so he can get over the hump and then be like, all right, I'm good. Peace. So keep an eye out for that. Chris, who do you, who you have your eye on this week for somebody that might deliver a couple extra bombs or just some power in general?
3: Yeah, if you're just looking for some power in general, I went with a really low owned player. You could look at maybe take a look at Shea Langoliers with the Oakland A. Langoliers. Currently, at least on his early season front, hitting just under 300, 289. He's got a couple homers since August 16th. He's played every single game but one. The last game, he actually moved up in the order to two. He's played inside the top five as far as in the batting three times. In the last three games, he's been inside the top five. He's hit two twice and he's hit five where he was hitting eight, nine a little bit early on. And he's shown some he's got some big power. And he hit a homer in the futures game. Won the MVP. He's shown great power so far in the season. His catching ability has kept him in there. I know catchers aren't necessarily the the way you want to go for util spots or anything like that, but if you're looking for some powers in RBI, there's opportunity, and he's also playing time. They're not playing anything short on him so far, and under 40 at-bats, he's already hit a couple homers. 17% owned in Yahoo, so you can sparse that out into where other leagues are. Obviously, the like NFBCs and stuff into two catcher leagues, he's probably not going to be sitting around, but in a lot of leagues he's going to be sitting out there and he's got some big power. A's got to get guys on base for him to be able to have RBI opportunity, but he's hitting in good spots in that order if they are and if you've got teams that are laying off a little bit into September, getting out random pitchers and stuff like that, there might be some better run opportunities for
1: the crappy teams like the A's and Shay Lingler's, he's got it, so that would be a power bat I'd be looking at. I love the fact that obviously he's a catcher but he was announced to be the backup catcher for the ace and he's still getting every single day played appearances so he, even in those single, single catcher leagues made one of the best plays
3: i've seen player. this season defensively and to catch you off or anything in the futures game where corbin carroll got on corbin carroll hit a single i think it was and then he stole second and then carroll wanted to steal third and i i don't recall seeing a young catcher like this carroll who's one of the fastest guys in the minors went to steal third Langoliers popped up in what felt like under a half a second popped up and just one of the quickest throws to third and just nailed Carol by late felt like a mile too. It was one of the most impressive catcher uh, plays I've seen all season really even defensively in the majors. And Langler's has got it. He's not known for that as a former Braves prospect. You got power. You got the ability to stay as far as being an actual catcher or DH. That's the trust. Yeah, it's a fun little way to go for a guy that's not a, a whole lot owned.
1: Yeah, he's still readily available in twelve teamers on the NFC platform online championships. Only fifty four percent rostered has a hundred percent in the main event. So those deeper, the deeper fifteen teamers. Yeah, yeah. And if you got two catcher gone. leagues,
3: there's no way he's going to be available. No way.
1: But even in the twelve teamers, he's. Almost half of the leagues, he's still out there on the wire. So make sure uh, you're looking for that this week. All right, guys, let's talk about speed, the aforementioned speed here. Chris, I'm going to start with you here. Who's out there that might steal some bases or at the very least could score a couple runs this coming week?
3: Get a little homeristic because the Diamondbacks have not called up Corbin Carroll is they've got Jake McCarthy. and Jake McCarthy's got 10 stolen bases on the year. He is only 20% owned in Yahoo right now. He has picked up. He didn't start the last game. But he's got runs in five of his last, I think, six games he's played. He picked up a stolen base. He's actually got RBIs in, it looks like, three of his last five. So he's been picking up RBI. He hasn't been hitting super high in the lineup, but he's getting around that five or six marker. He is not afraid to run since August 14th. He's had three stolen bases. The 14th was a multi-stolen base game. He's fast. He's very fast. And the Dynamax don't like to run, which is the problem. So that's and that's a Torrey Lavello issue, which I wish they would fix. When you're not a great offense, like this crazy idea that maybe like manufacturing runs by stealing bases is a good idea, especially when you have good athletes like Josh Rojas and Catal Marte and Alec Thomas, guys that can steal, you should steal at every given possibility, and they don't. But McCarthy is one of those guys that has a little bit more of a green light in Arizona, and he's just not very rostered, and he's getting a lot of playing time. And guess what? If he loses his gig, it's because Corman Carroll comes up and hopefully you're the one that preemptively picked him up.
1: Yeah, he's been gaining ground in Yahoo too, because I think the last time we talked about him, he was in single digits. So to, have, to see him up at 21%, obviously people are catching on. So if he's still out there, take consideration. He's yeah, and I did this six. last night.
3: He was 21% and it now shows 20%. So there's a little bit even more like those it daily just, leagues, he, man. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is interesting to see him scoring so many runs from the he's in The middle part of that order for the most part man, still scoring a bunch of runs there. And as you mentioned, definitely green light, even in Arizona. Kevin, who's a speedster that you got your eye on for this coming week?
2: I think we forgot about Bubba Thompson. We got really excited when he first came up because he had stolen 48 bases in 49 attempts in 80 games played in the minors this year. And in his second game, he had two stolen bases. We got really excited. He hit 200 for a few games. We forgot about him. He's available out there, and he's still stealing bases, stolen bases in three of the four scoring periods that he's been in the league. Two already this week, heading into the weekend, and the Rangers have a nice schedule coming up. We talked to with Todd Zola last week. He said Plawecki couldn't throw you or me out try, attempting to steal a base, and I believe the Rangers have four games at Boston this weekend. So it looks pretty good in that aspect as well. A couple of six-game weeks and then a seven-game week. They have a lot of games. Some teams have quite a few days off. There was these off days built into the schedule with, you know, we were scrunching the schedule together but leaving days for makeup games. One of their days, they have a doubleheader making up versus Miami in a couple of weeks. So the Rangers have a lot of games coming up as well. So, yeah, Bubba Thompson getting on base at a 328 clip. If that sticks, he's going to continue to be in the lineup every day. Yes, at the bottom, one. but any, any scoring runs as well.
1: But that's the thing. That he's at the bottom of the lineup, so he's still able to score a bunch a bunch of runs, or at least get the opportunity to score a bunch of runs as long as he's get, getting on base, maybe bringing up the 200 average, as you mentioned. But that's typically, we like to see that. We might not get as many plate appearances, uh, but still with the opportunity of basically being the 1A leadoff hitter, in, in a sense, throughout the course of the game, he has that opportunity to be knocked in by the 1-2-3 hitters especially in Texas. All right, guys, let's talk about the schedule a little bit coming up as we head into our opportunity section, players that might have a good schedule coming up, some good matchups, as you mentioned, Kevin, but a couple, there are very few teams that have a seven day work week next week to consider Boston, Milwaukee, Arizona, and the Dodgers are the only four teams that play seven games next week. From what I can tell, there are no double headers either. And there are only but on the other side, there are only two teams that, only, that have two off days. That's so Houston and Tampa Bay both have a Monday, Thursday off day. So they will only have the two games in the first half of your NFBC lineup switches. Still the full weekend. Colorado will be on the road all week. So feel free to take advantage of that in matchups. But nobody's going to be getting the plug in Denver for on the hitter side, Toronto is hosting the Cubs as they are starting on Monday. So we should get a little bit more information before fab hits, as far as who might be added to the restricted list for the Cubs. So keep an eye out for that as well. If you need to make adjustments on your bid, so you can fill the first half of your week in your lineup. So you don't have taking a zero for the first four days. And then, just as a note, the both the Yankees and the Mets should see four left-handed pitchers. So look for those matchups coming up throughout the course of the week as well. So with all that in mind, Kevin, I'm going to start with you here. Who looks like they might be getting a good matchup boost throughout the course of this coming week?
2: Yeah, being... One of the few teams with the seven games, the Boston Red Sox, Franchi Cordero, it appears he's in a pretty strict platoon here, but on the strong side and six of the seven starters they're scheduled to face this week at the moment are right-handed starting pitchers. So Cordero, the three home runs in the past five games, we're not going to get those back. We can't, but going forward, looks like he should have plenty of playing time this coming week. And with three of his four hits of this past week going for home runs, he's in a good spot. If you're, this is the time of year we're looking specific categories. If it's home runs and RBIs you need, he does have that opportunity. It appears this week to help in at least those two categories.
1: Yeah. Cordero making like almost his Edward Olivares, like debut for the Red Sox this year, going back and forth between Worcester and Boston on a what seems like weekly basis. Back up here, basically, Boston will do whatever they can to not call up Tristan Casas, it seems. But he, I, Chris, I was assuming that Casas might be one of the names that we might be looking at. In Boston to make that September debut with the possibility of making the opening day roster in Boston next year. Do not to tinge, but I I got you here. I got to talk about this opportunity here. Do you not see that as a viable possibility? If you would have asked me
3: during AFL last year or the beginning of this year, I'd have been like, "Yeah, absolutely." He was one of the prime guys of being there, and he had a pretty good AFL too. He was a great. He was actually. I think the second or third person I got to interview and he was such a good interview. He was so smart, really understands himself as a hitter. Also confirmed my favorite thing of all time that these guys 100% during the AFL are sitting online looking for their home runs and their (laughs) highlights because I made him watch his homer he hit and he goes, oh yeah, he actually said my name wrong, but he's you're the Welsh And I'm like, yeah, I am Tristan Casas. Thank you. And he confirmed that they were sitting around looking at my tweets for it. So that made me feel good. So I loved him extra. But that aside, he's like a really smart hitter, really smart kid, huge power, defensively can play a couple different spots. So, yeah, he's like the prime candidate across the board. But I think he's had some struggles this year. And the rumors are that there's just really no plans to have him up. I don't know what they're going to do in the AFL. I think he would be an early season guy. And I think if there were an injury, he would come up, but no, I just don't. At this point, I'm not anticipating though. If he were to get the call up, I'd have 0% shock about it because he really, I thought he would have been much earlier this year. I thought they Mm -hmm. could have used him.
1: All right. Well, besides that, if that's not an option, Chris, do you have anybody else that looks like they have a good opportunity ahead of themselves for this coming week?
3: So this one is a little dicey. Is it a good opportunity? I guess you could you could look at that a couple of ways. But I just throw out like Joe Adele here for a second. That Joe Adele had, had a really good game the other day. He's a big momentum guy. He struggled this whole year. And they've got the Yankees coming up. And I think you said what was it? You said that they've got Yankees and Mets are gonna see Okay, that's they're gonna see uh, left-handed starters. But he's really benefited in Toronto. He had a four for five game with a couple homers. This is a momentum type of guy that needs to get a little bit going. Yankees have been a little bit banged up. And I think this time of year, this might be an interesting opportunity this week to be on the lookout for really low rostered, if I could throw it out. That was someone I was looking at. I think I had originally put something completely different in that space, but as we were talking through, Joe Adele stands out to me as someone I would keep an eye on. Yeah,
1: and Joe Adele, obviously, one of the, did make the trip to Toronto, so that's good. He's getting He gets his extra opportunity this coming weekend and doing the best he can with it. Does face off, does have the six games against the Yankees and Houston, so he should see a mix of starting pitching options there. So we'll see how many opportunities he does, get but with the angels and all the news surrounding them it'd be interesting to see how much run they give him regardless of what those matchups are all right guys let's move into our pitching categories i think we made the official decision we're going especially after our discussion last week with todd kevin we're gonna skip our future two start section with ex- rosters expanding injuries happening maintenance days whatever you want to whatever reason you want to say. It's almost impossible right now to maintain the illusion of knowing who's going to be pitching for two starts that week. Plus, that's not to say that's the right move, as we discussed last week. So, we're going to skip that moving forward and really just focus on what's going on for this coming week. Work it week by week, as we tend to do at this time of year throughout the month of September. So, Kevin, start here wins and K's, counting categories. Who are you looking at to maybe tack on at least a win, if not a couple more Ks into the category?
2: Yeah, I'm looking at Jonathan Heasley of the Royals this week. He's had an up and down season. He's shown some flashes. He's also been blown up a couple of times. In his most recent call up, the the results are mixed yet again. As he he pitched pretty well against the White Sox, went five and a third with five strikeouts, only two earned runs. And in spite of the no runs in his last outing against Arizona, he didn't make it five innings and he allowed four hits and had four walks. The walks really hurt him in that game. Only a couple of strikeouts as well. But he gets Detroit this week. And this is like you said, we talked about this last week with Todd. It's about targeting some of these teams and and Detroit versus right-handed pitching as a team has an OPS under 600. So anytime there's a right hander with any potential at all, I'm interested and I would expect Jonathan Heasley to have one of the outings that coincides with some of the better ones he's had this season. Like I said, he has shown some flashes.
1: All right. And Chris, who are we looking at for, again, the counting categories? Typically, these are starters. Sometimes they're two-star pitchers. Sometimes they're relievers who look like they could move in, might vulture a win here or there, but who are you looking at for this coming week?
3: Yeah, the reliever thing really interests me, and that's something I was thinking about taking a look at. I suppose it's a little homeristic that I'm going to do this, but I am going to take a Diamondback in here. But I'm taking Tommy Henry. Now, there's a lot of peripherals that haven't been necessarily on his side. He hasn't been like a huge strikeout guy, but he has done well against good teams for the most part, and he does even better at home. In his five starts with the Diamondbacks, every single game he's gone five he's given up one earned run or less in three of the five. Now he struck out only three in four of the five, but he got a, or at least he had good performances against the white Sox, where he picked up a win. He lost against St. Louis, but he struck out seven and that was at home and at home against Pittsburgh. He gave up only one earned run and he went seven for a win. So he's beat Colorado, Pittsburgh, And Chicago, He got losses against Cleveland and St. Louis and Cleveland was his worst game and he still went five. So he's still picking up those and he's got Philly this week when we talked about, maybe not the best spot, but he's pitched well against good teams. This is at home. It's a great defensive team. This team has turned beyond positive defensively. If we want to talk about that, Alec Thomas is looking like a future gold Glover. You've already got that in some of the infield. So you've got a good defensive behind. You've got, hitters that have not been able to pick up his repertoire. He's not getting too into the weeds as far as getting stuck in. He's able to get his outs. He's walking a little bit. I want the walks to cut down a little bit. I think it's a little bit more strikeout heavy in Philly, which might get some of those. It's one I wouldn't be terrified about. And I'm also looking for low percentage pitchers that are owned right now. I think that's one that could scare people off, but he's played really well at home so far. And I'd take a look at Tommy Henry. I think under 20% on Yahoo, yeah, 5% on Yahoo. And I think you said main event was right around
1: 50%. Yep, 50% in the main event, 2% on the online championship. So those 12 teamers, like you said, readily available there. I know we said we're not going to talk about it, but Henry does line up for a 2 start the following week. Granted, it's away in San Diego and in Colorado. So maybe not the best opportunity there, yeah. but... If you're look strictly looking for volume, is something to at least consider, especially with the longevity that you're talking about going going at least five, putting himself in the position to walk away with that win, which exactly would make all the difference, especially in a head to head matchup. Yeah, great way to say it. All right, guys, let's. We still got to chip away at our ratios, so let's move into that category. Chris, I'm going to start here. We're looking at guys that can hold your ERA, they can hold your WHIP your typical two ratios in the pitching categories for this coming weekend, possibly throughout the month of September, who are you looking
3: at? Looking at JP Sears. I don't remember. I don't have the percentages. I didn't put on here. Did you put the percentages on here? Yeah, Sears, um, 28% oh, yeah,
1: yeah. rostered in the online championship, 89% of the main event, so still available in over 10% of those deep 15 teamers on the NFBC platform. I don't have Yahoo open, but uh, I know he's rostered. Yeah, he my, was low my, owned in my, Yahoo. My I
3: can actually do it real quick. I just <laughs> forgot to write it down. We did it. He is 16% in Yahoo right now. So he's still out there. And JP Sears has not given up more than three earned runs the entire season the entire year he's only given up five hits or more in two games now unfortunately it's been the last two but it was against seattle and new york he's pitched well he's gone five innings or more since he's been traded to oakland the strikeouts haven't been nuts last game against the yankees his rivalry game going back to his team it was a little walk heavy but in he's in at least two of the games again with Oakland, he's walked only one and he's been a little bit on the other side. So you can control, you can get your whip a little bit under control here. ERA has been pretty safe for the most part. And JP Sears, and guess what? His next start, he's got Washington. So I think the matchup works well. I think he's a good ratio guy. I would prefer Sears over Tommy Henry, but I can't put JP Sears on both of these. So JP Sears would be a guy (laughs) I'm focused on.
1: Yeah, it's nice to see a guy out there who's starting games, who you feel you have enough trust in keeping those ratios at at bay at the very least, if not helping them especially with the matchup against Washington. We like to match up our pitchers up against Oakland. Unfortunately, you can't do that with Sears. At least Sears has that matchup against, as Nick Paul calls him, Natty Light at this point in the season. Kevin, who might be chipping away at your ratios if you you grab them in Fab this weekend?
2: Yeah, we talked about him a little bit in the news and notes section last week, but at the time, he'd only had one appearance since coming back to Boston. That's Matt Strong. And with another three appearances this week, He did give up one run. I believe that was a Danny Jansen home run, solo home run. His one run he gave up this week. But now four outings uh, since coming back, three and a third innings, five strikeouts. Just that one earned run. He's a guy, yeah, looking at him for ratios with Boston having the seven game week. Hopefully we get at least two, if not three appearances out of him. And like we talked about, just briefly last week. He's a guy that could get a win, could get a save. Who knows with what's going on in Boston and how they'll use him with matchups. But yeah, and then even looking further ahead, they have 13 games the next 14 days starting Monday. He's going to have the opportunity to get in there get some innings. And the ratio has been great. Strikeouts have been great. And I don't expect that to change. I like that four game series against Texas. Hopefully he gets in there At least a couple of times against the Rangers.
1: Yeah, and I'm not going to put it past Cora to give him a vulture save in there as well throughout the course of the week. With the dire straits the Boston bullpen has been in all season long, current situation notwithstanding. All right, let's talk about some save options, some actual save options here. Our final pitching category, guys. Kristen, start here with you. Who is available? Who could who could find their way into some save opportunities this coming week? As we've seen a lot of shuffling happen in the last week or two.
3: Nick Martinez with the San Diego Padres, six percent owned on Yahoo, just picked up a save opportunity and locked it up just the other day. It was on the twenty first. He got is that yeah on the twenty first he got that. His last four appearances since August sixteenth. He has not given up a hit. He struck out four and he has a save opportunity. And we know that Hader is in this weird limbo space. They want to go by committee and you've got Luis Garcia that's in there, but I'd be on the lookout for Martinez, a former starter. I think they, I think he's pitched really well. And I, I don't know the rhythm of how they, they want to use these committees, but I think he is definitely someone to be taking a look at. I picked him up in a couple leagues for some hopeful save opportunity. This might be the last week you really get it if they re-implement Hader full on, but I would look at Nick Martinez.
1: Yeah, man, he got the save on Sunday, of course, as as the fab was running, and he hasn't pitched all week. <laughs> it's yeah. been really frustrating because I picked him up last week, along with Garcia, like in the situations where I could afford it. I picked them both up just because it's like, hey, smart am to thing throw to dart. Do. And unfortunately, that dart has literally given me a zero. in the in Now the, it maybe, will pay off for you, though. There you go. I like it.
3: <laughs> That's right. This uh, is the
1: week. So that San Diego bullpen situation is still ironing itself out. Martinez, definitely an option there. Kevin, who might you be looking at to vulture save or move into a closer situation moving forward?
2: Yeah, I like Jonathan Hernandez in Texas. Now, on Friday night, he pitched the eighth inning, did get the hold. They brought Jose Leclerc in for the save. This is what we thought uh, coming into 2021. This was going to be the two guys, right? They were both hurt all of 2021. Now they're both back. But Leclerc gave up uh, a two-run home run in the ninth on Friday night. Hernandez had got the opportunity before and and, and has a save recently. So I think they're probably still using both of these guys a little bit, but uh, we talked about it with Bubba Thompson. Rangers have a lot of games coming up and I think Jonathan Hernandez probably gets more opportunities than LeClerc going forward. Although it will be split. But I think there's an opportunity here for one or two saves this coming week.
1: Yeah, it made, made it even murkier, obviously, when Matt Moore got the save a couple days ago as well. But the lefty in the pen, obviously doing pretty decent things now that he's moved into a bullpen situation. But you got to assume that the at the very least, the right handedness goes toward either Hernandez or LeClerc. And with LeClerc's most recent struggle, on Friday, as you mentioned, I thought Hernandez was the favorite for the last like week and a half, two weeks. And then I see Leclerc coming in and I'm like, no, <laughs> what do
2: you That's doing? why we then, love this category so much.
1: Oh, yes, it's the best. Yes, we love that's why we keep the best <laughs> for last. All right, the actual last category we will finish up here goes really hand in hand with the main topic of the entire episode of course this is our wild card section these are guys that maybe we haven't been able to talk about in depth or didn't fit into any other categories per se might be a stash but as we talked about it may not be stashing season and a lot of these prospects that we do talk about aren't necessarily available even in the nfbc format at least where you can't pick up prospects until they've made their debut that being said kevin let's start us off here Who is the stash? Who is your wild card option for this week if they are out there?
2: Yeah, I'll just add a little bit. Chris talked about him earlier in the show. Josh Young, this would be a huge benefit to my draft champions teams as I was drafting him (laughs) everywhere before the injury. But yeah, he brought up what he's done so far. 85 at-bats since he began play on July 28th. Nine home runs, 25 RBI. That's over a thousand. So yeah, I'm hoping he gets the call here soon. Like I've been saying the last couple of weeks, I'm not using spots in my fab leagues as a stash spot necessarily, unless I really think I have everything uh, accounted for and still have an extra spot, but he's someone that I look to see here soon. And if you do have that spot, I agree with everything Chris said earlier. And yeah, he's been smoking the baseball.
1: The thing with Young too, though, is He is available in a lot of spots in the NFPC format as he was drafted in those early drafts, even in the Fab Leagues that were as long as you were drafting before the injury happened. There's a strong possibility he was drafted and then dropped in week. If it was a Fab League
2: I'm in, he was drafted.
1: Yeah. He's there. yeah. <laughs> As you, all of your drafts happen before March 1st, for the most part. So he's somebody who's available in most formats, regardless of the rules about prospect eligibility. But Chris, do you have somebody else in mind worth toting a little bit more in this category? And I
3: guess it's not going to quite fit the, if you're saying prospects don't have the full eligibility just because we didn't really talk about him a whole bunch because I know you guys have talked about him. So maybe this is just a more expanding concept on like, of the big prospects, who would I want? Obviously I love Corbin Carroll and the diamondbacks, but I really think like this is the week for Gunnar Henderson. And I know he's probably on in a lot of places or there's going to be some that you can't pick him up until he actually hits the system and you go. But if you have the ability in whatever format you're playing to speculate, there's Alvarez, there's young, there's Carroll, there's Gunnar Henderson. I think Gunner is the guy. I think the Diamondbacks are going to keep Corbin Carroll all the way up until the minor league season ends, where there has been rumors as as quick as last week that Gunner was going to come up. But I think Gunner is the first one of the big guys that's going to break that seal. Corbin Carroll comes up probably more towards the end. And so if it's if I'm thinking, if my mind is just who is a big speculative ad for this week and he was available, it would be Gunnar Henderson.
1: Yeah, it seems like Henderson it not only Does Baltimore actually have something to play for right now as they are fighting for an actual playoff spot, which is amazing, but they have enough roster flexibility to give him regular at bats, regular playing time at. They moved Whatever him to second he moved. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I'm sorry. I jumped right over you, but he moved to playing more second base over the last couple of weeks, too. And there's a clear move to that. The Diamondbacks made up some cockamamie like, oh, Corbin Carroll really needs to learn how to play right field because he won't play center because Alec <laughs> Thomas. And we yeah, it was Hazen being like, we really need to figure out how we can. He's got to play all the positions before he can get up here. And it's like, all right, we've heard this story before at the beginning of each season, when a guy needs 24 days on the roster to learn how to do something, he's doing the same thing on the opposite. And Corby Carroll needs zero experience learning to play right field. He can play all of them, but the Orioles, it's a little bit more dramatic when you're moving on the infield positions and they made that move early on. And there's a pretty blatant reason why you're vying for a playoff spot. You can get him in an open hole, which is second base. It's why I think Gunner should come up this year. And he is more impactful than probably any of these guys just due to that. What are the Rangers or Diamondbacks or anybody doing for? So I'd go Gunner.
1: All right. Well that's These are some great names to consider for your fab consideration this coming weekend, Sunday night, guys. Kevin. Any final words of wisdom to leave everybody with as they fight for their, whether they're fighting for their playoffs and head-to-head battles or chipping away at different categories in their Roto Leagues?
2: Yeah, this probably has more to do with head-to-head in most cases. It's something we typically talk about in the offseason leading up to new seasons, but it becomes important again now, and that's knowing your league rules. Different leagues are different. When can you pick guys up? when can you not i have one one league for example that i am in we went to two week playoffs for this season and i put a message out there a couple of days ago do we still get to alter our lineups on the monday of the second week and i haven't gotten an answer yet i don't know if they know they're probably scrambling through the settings to see if, if <laughs> which if they can decide or if that's decided for us so yeah know the rule i'm in a, in a daily dynasty league once we get to the postseason there's no more pickups even for the playoff teams so in a daily change league no more pickups once the postseason starts check on those things make sure you're not surprised caught off guard when the postseason comes around like i said typically this is something we're looking at in the offseason but then again now especially in head-to-head Different leagues have different rules.
1: Yeah. We got in my daily dynasty league, we have a limit of four pickups per week, and I regularly hit that. So I'm strongly considering making a trade for a starting pitcher as our unofficial deadline doesn't end for another week. That's going to start tomorrow. Like I'm going to try to trade for Nick Pavetta just because I need that extra starter, but I don't have any more ads to make. So knowing the ins and outs of all the rules and how they can. Not so much how they can be utilized to your benefit is extremely important. All right, that is going to wrap it up, guys. Chris, thank you so much, man, for taking the time joining us here. I know you got a lot going on. You joked this was the not your first podcast, but the first podcast of the day, so I'm oh, glad today. that you were able yeah. to join <laughs> join us for that. Can you let in a as consolidated or expanded way as you want? Can you remind everybody where they can find you or where they should be at least specifically looking for you?
3: Yeah. Best couple things, just uh, follow me on Twitter. Is it the Welsh? I'll tweet out podcast episodes of stuff I do. That's probably the best place to follow those. Obviously also when like AFL or Instructs comes on, I try to share video. So that's a good thing to do. Inthisleague.com is our Patreon. Bogman and I have been doing it for five or six years. We've been on the platform with OGs to that platform. It's a way to support us as we're independent content creators And uh, when you do it, you get access to like tons of stuff. Maybe one of the most relevant things on here that people might care about is my prospect stuff, my prospect top 500 list for Dynasty. I have a Dynasty list, and I also have that prospect ADP I've made. I'm also doing redraft ranks in September for 2023. So in league.com, you can sign up on the Patreon, little as five bucks, get you access to some of that. And then there's like other stuff if you want to do that. And uh, just check out the podcast, Prospect One and In This League Fantasy Baseball. They're both out there and the newest prospect one will probably be out right as people are listening to this as well. I just appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Yeah. Thanks for coming, man. And it's been a pleasure. This is a time of year I love talking about the possibility of the prospects coming up that can make an actual difference and then throwing some cold water on the fact that a lot of them might not actually make a difference, (laughs) but it's still fun (laughs) to kind of look at it with a future lens. That is going to wrap it up, though, for Episode 74 of On The Wire. Please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. We will be back every Sunday throughout September with detailed fab breakdowns throughout the 2022 season. Of course, keep a lookout for Kevin's companion article over at picturelist.com. That comes out every Sunday afternoon as well. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Kevin. Of course, follow the pod at on the wire Pod. Once again, thank our guest Chris Welsh for joining us. Follow him at Is It The Welsh? With that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye.